When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got a great treat ahead for you. Uh, We've got a return guest, Mr. Andrew Bartlow from episode 117. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me again, Earl. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to to this. You know, we had talked about possibly having you back uh, a little over a year ago when we had our last discussion. So I'm glad to to have it back. You know, a few things have changed format wise. Uh, you answered the old question about burden of command. But I'm kind of curious uh, with all of your experience and all of that, um, how you answer the, the new question I ask everybody. When you hear the phrase responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? Well, I, I th- um, think of the how around leadership. I, I think of a leader being responsible for their multiple stakeholders, whether it be their workers, their employees, their customers, their investors, the, the mul- multiple stakeholders that business leaders and, and uh, uh, those who run organizations are responsible to. Um, and balancing those many constituents um, comes, um, you know, it can, can be a heck of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is true. That is 100% true. I mean, it's, it's a lot of spinning plates to keep from crashing to the floor, right? Yeah. And I talk with uh, high growth human resources leaders about this all the time. In fact, it's one of my you know primary conversation points is, get clear on who your stakeholders are and uh, be uh, also abundantly clear about what they care about. And that will help you prioritize your work. Um, And that you can't make everybody happy all the time. 
And so you've got to make some choices, especially in a fast paced, high change environment. Yeah. And that is exactly what we're in right now is a fast paced, high change environment. And kind of on that note, uh, before we get too deep into this conversation, you know, as I mentioned, uh, you're a guest back on episode 117, uh, you know, a little over a year ago. So it's been a year and uh, a little over a hundred episodes on this show. Um, you know, what have you been up to? Any, anything exciting going on in the past year that you'd like to share with the listeners? Boy, a lot, both uh, personally and, and professionally. My, my little girls started school again uh, this year or th- this week in person. Uh, first grade and third grade. Thank goodness they're back in the classroom, and um, thank goodness things have calmed down a bit with the with the COVID crisis, where they're um, in the classroom physically and not wearing masks. So um, you know, really, really pleased with that. Uh, professionally, uh, my book was physically released in print. I guess thirteen months ago, um, July of last year, and. Uh, Scaling for Success has been nominated for three different Management Book of the Year awards. Now, we're just nominated, so we haven't won anything yet, but that that sure does feel pretty good. Yeah. Um, We're on our fourth cohort of high-growth HR leaders going through a uh, a twice-a-year cohort-based program, uh, helping them be more effective heads of HR for their organizations. And I, I recently launched um, guides that uh, are intended to be accessible, low cost, some of them free, uh, that will help leaders of organizations, whether they're in HR or more general business leaders, tackle some of the uh, more pressing issues of the moment from culture to um, strategic planning compensation, benchmarking, and leveling. We, we have you know, several different guides that are available on the, on the People Leader Accelerator website. Well, that's outstanding news on all fronts. Now, we'll circle back to this again kind of uh, at the end, but since you just mentioned them, uh, where's a good place for people to go uh, find out about these, these guides and, and cohorts to sign up? Sure. Well, um, first, I'm a, I'm a LinkedIn animal. You can, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Andrew Bartlow. Uh, that will pivot you off to the various uh, groups and organizations that I'm a part of. And, and People Leader Accelerator has really stepped forward as the, the foremost of those, uh, which is my attempt to serve other HR leaders. So peopleleaderaccelerator.com is the direct website. Love it. Love it. We'll, we'll get those, uh, make sure we get those in the show notes there so people can uh, click directly to them and hook up with you on, on LinkedIn and uh, take in all that great content. Um, and again, congratulations on all the success for Scaling for Success. It's a great book. Uh, I, I definitely understand why you're, you're getting such praise and accolades for it. Um, and I, I want to use that kind of as a, a backdrop for uh, for discussion. We, I want to have through a kind of a different lens than what we had the last time because, you know, a lot has changed. We, we have started, as you kind of mentioned with your kids, getting back to school. Uh, we've started reintegrating into workplaces more. And it seems you, you can't uh, read anything, whether it's a local newspaper, whether it's Forbes, whether it's uh, an HBR article, 
talking about reintegration and telework policies and, and the great resignation and, and how people are, are viewing compensation differently. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'd like to kind of uh, have that discussion kind of through that lens and, and really get your take as an HR person. I'll start you off with this question on this, uh, this segment here is, what do you think is driving the great resignation that's going on? Ah, boy, that's a, that's a big multifaceted, um, question. Okay. Um, so what, what's driving the great resignation? Um, there are a number of factors that are coming together at the same time. So with, with COVID forcing many employees to work from home, not everyone, there was, there were still essential workers working on site, but that, that vastly accelerated the movement to remote and distributed work. And it was proven that far more jobs and more organizations could still get work done effectively remotely um, than anybody ever guessed. Um, so it was, all, it was already a movement, but boy, it, it leapt forward by a decade or more. And, and with that validation that work can be performed anywhere, um, people's options vastly expanded. And so no longer were you constrained to work for your current employer within a commuting distance of your home. Um, now the entire state, nation, or hemisphere is, is open to you. Um, as a as a viable place to work, and uh, boy, out here in the Bay Area of California, we we saw we saw it just about empty out as people moved to lower tax states and uh, try to work from uh, the mountains of Tahoe or the uh, the lower taxes of Texas. Um, you know, people changed jobs as they either a found opportunities to work remotely. B, we're disillusioned and displaced. We could dig into this a little further. Uh, displaced in one way or another from their employer uh, due to the COVID interruption. Um, and, and now C, with inflation running at a, I think the latest headline number was 8.5%. And I can get really wonky into the Bureau of Labor Statistics data. Um, there's a there's an opportunity to go get big compensation, big pay increases, and so with more opportunities and more compensation available, many many people are taking advantage of that. Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, that's a that's a great analysis there, and and, and I'll uh, kind of lead in with the the that last part there, and and see your take on this because. When we chatted last time, we we had discussed that, you know, there were some uh, companies like some of the big tech companies that were starting to really kind of take advantage of uh, being able to leverage some of those talent pools that, that uh, they weren't before. You know, some of the, the underrepresented populations, yeah. uh, you know, that, that couldn't afford to move to the Bay Area, couldn't afford to move to New York because of, of the income issues or didn't have the opportunity because of familial obligations. Um, do, do you see that, that trend continuing or has that kind of tapered off a little bit? Oh, I, I, 
absolutely do. I, I see more and more employers being fully distributed or remote first. And uh, again, uh, commercial office leases are very long and quite expensive. Um, but I'm seeing more employers. We, we may have talked about uh, Salesforce um, has this magnificent and enormous building in downtown San Francisco that has largely been subleased, brand new build for billions of dollars. And they, they announced recently that um, all workers would be able to work remotely permanently. Um, and in its place, they have invested in a corporate retreat center um, in, you know, on the peninsula south of San Francisco. So there, there's still an opportunity for intentional gatherings to get work done and build relationships, but that doesn't need to take place in an office five days a week. And I'm seeing more and more of that. Yeah. And I think that's smart. I mean, I think that is super smart. I, I like that idea of, of instead of investing in a, uh, I mean, let's just be honest, a lot of employees view the office as kind of a, a jail cell most of the time. Uh, instead of investing in, in a building full of jail cells, invest in a, a, I like that corporate retreat idea because that sounds a lot more appealing, doesn't it? Well, if you're, if you're gathering uh, teammates together anyway, rather than pay for a hotel and flights to who knows where um, with, a, with a small group, why not all centrally collect someplace in a, in a place that has a uh, sense of connection to that organization? You know, I, and that reminds me, you know, many years ago, I worked at General Electric and we had the Crotonville Center in, uh, in the hills of Connecticut. Um, and that was GE specific. You came there for training, you came there for meetings, and you bumped into other people that worked at GE when you were there. And at Washington Mutual, we had Cedarbrook near the Seattle airport. Uh, same sort of idea. Like you're going to spend those dollars anyway, staying at a hotel. Why not um, get together with other people at your organization and build those bonds and make those memories in a, in a more intentional, planful way? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And especially with, you know, you mentioned uh, some of the statistics that are coming out now. Uh, I was just reading a couple of articles uh, across, you know, fast company and, and, and ink and those talking about how the, 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 the big driver now with the workforce post COVID and we've talked about it quite a bit already, but is, is people are, people are sacrificing pay for work-life balance, meaning, yeah, you may be able to get a $20,000, $30,000 raise in company A, but if company B has a better telework policy, has a better remote work policy, has a better uh, schedule, people are sacrificing 10, 15, 20% salaries uh, to take advantage of some of these policies. So it's it's really just smart business to provide people with 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 what they want, right? Oh, absolutely. It's uh, pay is is a meaningful part of the equation in terms of why someone would come to work at your company or choose to stay. But it's not the only factor. Um, work life balance, the the commute, the coworkers, the learning opportunities, you know, all of these things and other factors come together to uh, drive that equation of why someone would select 
to join or stay at your company. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, the, the, the technology leap, like you mentioned the, you know, we moved ahead 10 years, right? I mean, it seems like, uh, two years ago, goodness, almost three years ago now, nobody ever heard of zoom except for some, you know, tech tech junkies that, that like tech platforms. Uh, and then it just blew up and now we're starting to see things like, uh, you know, uh, Facebook, well, Meta's uh, foray into the metaverse and trying to hold uh, virtual reality uh, sessions in the metaverse. Um, you know, it's it's becoming a lot easier to pull off and provide these things, but uh, there's a lot more, I would imagine, uh, I shouldn't make that as a statement. I'm, I'm going to ask it as a question. Sure. I would imagine when we take into account all of these things that, that you mentioned in scaling for success, there's a lot more complexity to having that permanent, what, what looks to be more permanent virtual remote work environment than when we went into this thinking, hey, it's only going to be one or two years. This is a Band-Aid. We just got to get through this and then everybody's going to want to come back people are starting to have to find more permanent solutions on how to pull this off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think we've crossed the Rubicon. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's been proven. Um, and even if the, even if the bosses don't all agree, the workers have seen it and they have seen enough other employers with job postings allowing remote work that, um, that I don't think there's, there's really any way to go back to the world before remote and distributed work. It, it will become, here, here's a prediction, um, it will become a necessity for more organizations to make more jobs um, work from anywhere, um, just purely from a talent attraction and retention perspective. It, it'll be as important as paying competitively. Yeah. Yeah, right. And, and you know, I, I'm very, in, in talking about predictions, I'm, I'm curious to hear your prediction on this, because we see uh, some organizations that have really kind of dug their heels in and say, you know, no, you will come back to the office. I mean, uh, you know, the, the famous... Uh, uh, <laughs> The famous message from Elon Musk talking about how everybody will be back in the office or find someplace else to work. How do you see those organizations faring in the next one, two, five, uh, ten years down the road that are taking this hardline stance that, no, we're not going to embrace this kind of virtual revolution. We want physical bodies in physical seats in our organizations. Yeah, well, well, first, let's give um you know, Elon, the, the benefit maybe of a little, little more clarity there. And, and that, that, that quote is often taken out of context. He, he didn't say that referencing all, all Tesla employees. It was to senior leadership. And the context behind it was most of our workers are physically in assembly plants. And if they're, if they physically need to be there to do their jobs, we need the managers and supervisors of those people there to support them. And as a senior leader, you need to be present as well. Um, and, and so I, I think that there are certain businesses and certain organizations that, that by necessity will continue to be primarily in person. Uh, where services are rendered, where work is done, if it can't be remote, then most of that workforce will probably be 
you know, physically present. Um, but there are many, many more organizations that don't need to be tied to a physical location. And, um, and, and those organizations that, um, that hold out um, will find it harder and harder to attract and retain workers and ultimately be forced to either pay more, potentially a lot more to attract and retain or adopt more uh, remote friendly uh, policies. And when it hits you in the pocketbook, it's likely to start to uh, change your decisions. Yeah. No. And, 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 you know, again, thank you for making that, that distinction, because I think that is important. And uh, you know, th- there are, I mean, we just have to accept as, as a country, as a workforce, that there are going to be certain jobs that can't, I mean, you know, uh, the, those auto manufacturing jobs, those are perfect examples. I have friends and family that, that work for, you know, uh, for GM, work for uh, Ford, uh, work for Hyundai, work for Subaru. You know, will we ever get to a point where maybe the the robotic controls can be done remotely on those assembly lines? I don't know, maybe, but that's a, a long way down the road. I think kind of what we're talking about here is is finding the right balance for the culture uh, and the needs of the organization here in right now, and 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 being as flexible as possible while keeping that in mind, right? Yeah, that's that that's well said. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it makes sense to pursue flexibility in work location for the purpose of flexibility. Like that, I don't think that's a cause that we need to get behind for its own purposes. It's, it's more about as an, as an employer, as an organization, especially for-profit organizations that, that's trying to be successful in meeting your goals, you're going to do the things that you need to do to meet those goals. And if you want to attract and retain the talent necessary, you'll, you'll apply the management practices and processes to do that. You know, just like you want to pay um, a, a going wage and you want to have similar health care benefits and similar time off benefits as your competitors or the, the other places where your workers may choose to work, you will want to have a similar stance on, uh, on uh, where people work from. Mm. No, nobody's wanna, going to want to be behind that curve. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, definitely not the the catch up you really want to be be playing as again as as fast as society is moving right now. Uh, th- this is a train. If you get too far behind it, you're never going to catch up and get on board. Oh my goodness! But back during my days at General Electric, I had a senior leader that I worked with um, who I who I respect tremendously and have continued to be in contact with twenty years later. Um, and he talked to me about getting on board early is a skill of its own. So that was in the context of a giant organization and General Electric would, would come out with goals and priorities. And sometimes they wouldn't make sense or they would seem to conflict with other instructions. And he would consciously sit down and try to understand what the organization's trying to accomplish so that he could quickly get on board and be an advocate and be the flag carrier for those superordinate goals of the organization early, rather than grudgingly being, you know, drug along um, 
over time. And, and uh, I'd apply that same concept to this changing world of work. There are tremendous advantages to being on the front end versus the back end of this change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that right there is going to be a good spot. Uh, we're going to take a quick break right here for uh, uh, paying some bills, as they say. And uh, we will be right back after these messages from our sponsors. All right, listeners, back here with Andrew Bartlow. We've been talking a lot about uh, uh, how things have changed uh, in in organizations, uh, given the great resignation that's going on. Um, and, you know, really the, the theme of a lot of what we talked about here already is, you know, there's this quote, I can't remember if I mentioned this last time we were on here, but I love it. Uh, it says, change is changing faster than change has ever changed before. And... Uh, I, I don't see that ever not being true anymore. We are changing it at kind of the cyclic rate right now. And uh, one of the things that, that I'm really kind of curious to hear your take on, we've, we've already talked a little bit about the expanding talent pools. Now that we have certain businesses that have been able to really go almost primarily virtual or, or uh, remote jobs, um, that, that talent pool has expanded quite a bit. You know, there used to be certain jobs you knew, hey, we're going to recruit out of these five schools for our, our top candidates, or we're going to recruit out of these top engineering programs. Uh, but now that we're expanded, like that talent pool uh, has really grown. So how are folks supposed to be able to really kind of weed through all of that new talent that's hitting the market every year and find the right people to scale their organization. Sure. Well, the, in many cases, it will be a multi-pronged approach. So to the extent that you do campus hiring, it still makes sense to have a focused effort on a few campuses um, for university grads, you know, hopefully that have some degree of connection to your organization and where most of your work is done. Like why, why go to... University of Washington, if you're, if most of your work is done in Atlanta, unless there's a really good reason for that. Um, so, you know, stay focused on the university recruiting. Um, that said, for the vast majority of positions that organizations try to fill, no longer can you put a sign up in the window or an ad in a newspaper. Like we're, we're way past that now. Um, we're, we're even moving beyond LinkedIn and Facebook advertising to, you know, second and third degree technology solutions to source and filter candidates. And, uh, it, in this new world, even blue collar service workers are out on the internet looking for jobs. So the, the internet is where job openings are found. It's where workers continue to be found and employers should be thinking about the tools that help them uh, get eyeballs on their opportunities that drive interest in those opportunities and then help them filter uh, qualified candidates, you know, identify who's qualified, filter them, 
and move move through into the hiring phase quickly. So there are a tremendous number of technology tools that are popping up. And you know, here in the in the Bay Area, uh, HR tech is one of the hottest areas of venture capital investment as you think about so many employers struggling to recruit and retain. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's very interesting. And, and uh, yeah, I, I like, I like your take on that there. Um, and I'm kind of curious because we, we'd already talked, uh, you know, pre-break about Elon and, and his, you know, his take on, on return to work and how, you know, some jobs just aren't going to be able to go uh, virtual or remote. Um, and I'm sure you read a lot of these articles, uh, you know, they're still coming out daily about how uh, another one of the perks because of that is blue collar workers looking for work that is willing to invest in them to make that transition from blue collar to white collar work because they, mm-hmm. you know, kind of see some of those perks and benefits of, of being able to work virtual and remote but maybe they don't necessarily have the skill set to, to get into a job like that. As we grow more in that direction, and this is kind of talking a little bit more societal, but also business-based, as we grow more in that direction, what kind of obligation do you see, uh, Andrew Bartlow, um, what do you see a, a business's obligation uh, or incentives even, I'll maybe not uh, say obligation, that's kind of a strong word, to provide that type of bridge from blue collar to white collar? Well, I, I think it'll be, it'll be specific to that employer in, in identifying what attracts and retains the type of worker that they want and need. Um, so a couple of examples. I, I work with a, uh, a dairy processor in the Midwest, probably not not terribly far away from where you're, where you're based, Earl, um, who has um, big rig commercial driver's license drivers. And to do that work, you have to have a CDL and you have to you know, be, be compliant and have a clean driving record and do that work. And, and there isn't really a clear path for those workers to management that there's one person managing 50 drivers at this company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there isn't really a great apprenticeship program for it either. Like you either have a CDL and can do the job or you, or you don't. Um, they're, they're not interested in paying somebody to ride along. You, you can't really get there in, in a good way. Um, at other organizations, there may be a, a stronger path for growth and development. Um, I work with a, um, electrician service, a franchised electrician business, primarily based out of Florida. Um, and surprisingly in Florida, you don't have to be licensed to be an electrician. Anybody, anybody can be an electrician, a little scary, but at this particular employer, they invest roughly 20% of their time training their team members. And there are two people unlike the drivers in the Midwest that I talked about, two people that go out to every job site um, and and work on it together. So they have very much an apprenticeship style program, very much skills-based certifications. And you take someone with no skills and you can turn them into a full-fledged 
um, not licensed, but skilled uh, electrician in the, in the period of about two years. And you give them pay raises along the way to recognize their, um, their increased skills. And that's been a tremendous uh, source of, of talent. And, and people are quite loyal that grow with the company that way. So that works for the electrician business. It doesn't work for the drivers. Um, it's going to depend company by company on what sort of uh, strategies they can employ that work for them. Um, you know, on the converse, the, the dairy company that I talked about, uh, they've actually had a lot of success with um, um, people on visas, immigrants, um, and working through the immigration complexities to employ these workers that are um, often willing to do dirty, sweaty, loud jobs that you know other other workers won't, and and helping them um, make the transition to citizenship, and so. I think employers have the incentives to find the talent and uh, that they need, and it's it's probably not growth and development first. It's it's more about what strategy works to get you the talent that you need. Yeah, yeah. No, I like and and I like that you mentioned that word loyalty, right? I mean, because I think that's always always kind of been the key in business, and I think that was something that we lost a little bit of track of. Uh, when everybody started really kind of talking about millennials and switching jobs like every two and a half years or whatever it was, yeah. um, we, we, we lost organizations valuing that, that loyalty and doing the things to really gain uh, that loyalty. And, and, and the reason I like that there is because uh, I think the, the flip side to this, and I'm sure you, you've seen this playing out, uh, I think it's kind of like a perfect storm for entrepreneurship right now. We we've got all of these people, thanks to the great resignation, looking for, uh, for jobs that, that do value and, and can provide this type of flexibility. It's never been easier. Thanks to multiple uh, services that are out there to be able to spend, you know, maybe, maybe a couple hundred dollars to get a website, a domain name, uh, and and be able to take e-commerce orders, and now you have this this huge talent pool that you can pull from. Being, you know, sometimes literally the the guy in your mom's basement starting up a, a, a tech company, but now you have access to people all around the world thanks to to all this innovation. Um, it's it's that loyalty piece I think that is going to be really key is is being able to do the things and attract the people and put these policies in place. Uh, that we're going to see uh, kind of the the wheat from the chaff, as they used to say, uh, in the long run. How, what do you think about that? You know, I think um, I think loyalty and connection and relationships will be harder to find and harder to develop in a more distributed working world. Um, and boy, there's a lot of effort and a lot of attention being placed on, on how to do that. Um, we talked about the, you know, offsite retreats and, and meetings and there are different apps and tools and technologies that can help with some of that. Um, so, so yes, I agree that connection and relationships and, and loyalty are immensely valuable. 
that said, on the other side of the coin, the, the gig worker economy continues to expand and, and even explode. You know, as people work from anywhere, they're finding that they can take on contracts via Upwork or Fiverr or you, you name it, a bunch of different places. There, there's more opportunity for people to work from anywhere, work for themselves, work as independent contractors on a gig basis and support themselves. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the, the gig economy uh, continue to um, expand dramatically. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, a, another great, valuable point. I mean, a lot of people think gig economy, mainly like Uber and Lyft and all that. But like you said, I mean, it, it's amazing to me. Uh, you know, I, I, I got turned on to Fiverr goodness, I think it was probably about seven, eight years ago. And, and, you know, you could find some people on there, but there are so many people working on Fiverr right now and, and doing quality work. Right. I mean, a lot of people used to kind of get down on, on Fiverr's uh, people. And I, I keep using them because it's the one I'm most familiar with, but there are some very talented, very high quality uh, individuals on Fiverr that, that you can, that you can reach out to, to, to do just about anything now. So, uh, I like that. I like that piece a lot. Cause, um, you know, I mean, that's the ultimate independence. That's the ultimate, uh, work flexibility is being able to be your own independent contractor, set your time, set your gig fees, do the, the things that you want to do and, and have your own flexibility. So, um, now, kind of bringing all this together here a little bit, because I know you're big on on culture. So we, we've seen this forced cultural shift because of COVID. Uh, again, I think a lot of organizations thought that this is going to be a two, maybe three year kind of stopgap measure. They're really coming to the realization that it's not. Um, how, how do culture or how does culture kind of fit in when you were used to being in the same building, you were able to kind of foster and, and, and promote the, the culture kind of in a hands-on way. Now that we're doing this on a more permanent basis, how much more difficult do you see it being uh, building a culture around more remote work? Well, um, no longer can it happen by accident. No longer can you build culture by osmosis um, through what's on the walls or management by walking around. You know, culture is forced to become more intentional. Um, just immediately prior to this podcast recording, you and I chatted before we started taping. I was I was doing a culture assessment debrief with a info security unicorn uh, based here in the, in the Bay Area. We were talking about culture as this organization has 4X'd in size over the past year. Uh, so market's been tough, but boy, they've continued to have a lot of success. Um, and they are, um, they're rooted in the Bay Area. That's where their first 30 or so employees started. But now they're global with 200, 250 people. And that's their biggest challenge. It's dealing with the dispersion. Um, and the one person that works in Australia and the six people that work in Eastern Europe and connecting with you know, people across time zones and across functions 
and across, in some cases, languages, um, as well as the, you know, the old guard and the new guard, there's, there's a lot of complexity for organizations to manage through in a, in a remote world. Now, I, I mentioned HR tech being um, a, a rising opportunity um, and certainly lots of VC investment there. There are a couple tools that, that people turn to. Um, Twine is a technology tool used to um, bring people together in a richer experience than you might get in a Zoom room. Um, Marco Experiences is a group that I've worked with to uh, host meetings that are, are richer than, uh, than, than your typical uh, Zoom or Microsoft Teams meeting. Uh, Bonusly is a tool that people use to recognize each other and reinforce cultural values um, in a in a technology-driven remote way. Donut is a Slack app that sets people up randomly on whatever frequency you want with virtual coffee dates uh, with uh, coworkers. So, like there, there's this whole universe of technology tools that aim to help organizations build community and build relationships. Um, but you, you have to set it up. You have to do it. It's not going to happen on its own. Yeah. Those sound like some neat resources. I'll, I'll definitely uh, uh, make sure I, I get some links to those uh, in the show notes as well. So, uh, so folks can, uh, can, can access those. Cause I think those are going to be very important tools for, for, folks to have in their toolbox going forward. Um, so I know, uh, based off our last discussion, that that you really enjoy uh, kind of the, the legality, the policy, the compliance piece of all of this. Um, have you started to see any of that uh, really shift to take all of this into account? Or, or are we going to start seeing more uh, policy and compliance issues, whether it be employment, um, you know, human resources types of, of issues. Uh, ha- have we seen that or are we going to see a lot more of that shifting to accommodate this? Earl, I hope you're, I, I hope you're smiling when you say that I really enjoy the legal and compliance elements. Absolutely. It. Yeah. It's, it's more like I love to hate it in, in that <laughs> it, it's just, it's just so ridiculously complicated to work across jurisdictions, to have employees that work in different cities, counties, states, or even countries. Um, It's, it's become its own industry, Um, global employment. If, if you have a handful of workers in the UK, how do you even pay them? It's uh, it's nearly impossible. Yeah. Um, what, what happens when you have a 1099 contractor that turns out not to actually be a 1099, but should technically be an employee and they happen to spend part of their time in France and part of their time in Spain. Um, yeah, so, so, um, I look at today's, uh, compliance and legislative landscape and think that it's, it's just fraught for employers. And it's extremely unlikely that'll get sorted out anytime soon. So once again, I, I find myself looking for myself, looking for expert advice and providers, vendors that are in this space that can 
help organizations sort it out and set it up. Um, unless you're a Fortune 500 uh, company, you don't have the resources yourself to uh, uh, to navigate it all. So yeah, I, I see this just continuing to be more and more complex as more people are working in more places with more flexibility. That means more uh, compliance and legal risk. And uh, sure, you'll you'll be fine for a while, uh, but the tax man always comes knocking. And uh, <laughs> you, uh, especially, I think I, I saw the eighty billion dollars in the in the new spending package going to the IRS. Um, that they'll they'll want their money, and if you're paying people as ten ninety nines, that probably shouldn't be. Um, that's that's a big big common compliance risk. Yeah, absolutely. And and not even just employers. I remember reading a lot of horror stories about uh, employees during the, you know, during the, the heart of, of the pandemic, you know, the areas were recruiting them, hey, come to Aruba to do your remote work. And people didn't take that tax uh, liability into uh, account with, with their personal income. And got hit with a lot of uh, a lot of issues. So, I think it's an employer and employee issue for sure to make sure that just because you're working remote, that you know what your tax liabilities are uh, with, with that organization, because it can get complicated and tricky real quick. So, yeah, um, that's a great point. Yeah, death and taxes are the two certainties in the world, and they will always figure out the taxes piece, right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, Andrew, we've been chatting here for uh, a little over 40 minutes again. And, and just like the last time, time has, has absolutely flown by. Uh, I love your insight. I love the wisdom in this. Um, good luck with the the, the awards uh, recommendations for scaling for success. Um, and I'm really kind of curious. So is there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about this time that you want to leave listeners with before we get out of here? Oh boy. Well, um, you know, a lot of appreciation for you and what you're doing, Earl, in terms of supporting, supporting leaders, um, trying to help them expand their awareness and, uh, you know, more, more options in the toolkit. Um, I try to do some of the same things with, uh, people leader accelerator, a number of guides that are either free or low cost that help people, figure out how to quickly work through complex uh, management issues, whether it's strategic planning or compensation or culture or onboarding. Um, you know, that's, that's my mission today is to help others be, be better than I was through the first 25 years of my career. Well, that is a great and noble mission. So thank you for taking that up and, and appreciate everything you do. And just to kind of reiterate it, um, again, these will be in the show notes, but what are, what are some places, uh, LinkedIn being a big one, I know, but what, what are some other places for folks to find out more about the, uh, uh, the, the resources there? Sure. Um, well, LinkedIn, Andrew Bartlow, um, not too many people with that name out there. Um, series B consulting, um, is my umbrella personal, um, advisory business, uh, people leader accelerator. We've talked a lot about, um, and I actually have a, have a playlist going on Spotify. That's, uh, getting more attention. I think Earl, we are, 
this may be my number 65 uh, appearance over the past couple of years. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. So if you want to hear a lot more of me opinionating, um, there's that opportunity. (laughs) Well, and, and, and folks, I kind of chuckled there, but I think you should, I mean, cause uh, I've listened to a lot of Andrew's uh, interviews and, you know, that's the one thing I love about this space is as competitive as it is, no show is exactly the same. Nobody asks the same questions. And so, uh, you're going to get a lot of different info by listening to Andrew on different shows. So uh, I'll, I'll put a link to that that playlist on there as well because I think I think folks should listen to all of your appearances because uh, they'll get a little bit of something different out of each one of those. So thanks for thanks for letting me know about that. I didn't realize you've been on that many shows. That's awesome, man. Well, um, hey, it's it's really been a privilege, and you were one of my very first, and you know, proud to be back. Yeah, I, I loved it. It's been, it's been great. I've loved having you. Um, I love hearing all of the success that you're having over there. I love all of the, the, uh, notoriety that scaling for success, uh, is, is having, uh, just as I did in the last show, folks, I highly recommend that you get a copy of scaling for success. Uh, keep it nearby, read it as you are growing your business. This is a good reference, uh, for you to, to keep handy, uh, so Andrew, again, thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, keep crushing it brother. And thank you for being uh, a great return guest on the responsible leadership podcast. Thanks so much. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at Earl at leadership that's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electric Cast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electric Cast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electric Cast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.